Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I left academia about one year ago to become a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts and an editorial manager for a science website. I'm Ian, and I've recently left academia to move into a science communication, editing, and publishing career. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about two years ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hello, everybody. Uh, It's Ian. Welcome to the Recovering Academic podcast. Um, We're here with Chem Jobber today, at Chem Jobber on Twitter. Um, He's an industrial chemist who's been blogging about uh, the chemistry job market since 2008. And you can find that at chemjobber.blogspot.com. So, um, and we'll refer to him as Chem Jobber and CJ throughout this interview. So, welcome, CJ, um, to the Recovering Academic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I guess the first question is since, so you've been blogging about the chemistry job market since 2008. Um, is that when you started your job post PhD in industrial chemistry? Uh, actually, no. So I was a, um, I was a postdoc when I, you know, I, so I've been reading blogs, uh, since, uh, I've been reading Derek Lowe's blog since like 2002 or 2003. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, kind of tried my hand at blogging a couple of times and it didn't work out. Uh, and then, uh, I had my first real job search as a postdoc, um, and I started looking for jobs in March of 2008 and uh, got my first interview, like on-site interview in like August of 2008. And then actually um, uh, found something in, in November. So it was like a eight-month process. And it was just so kind of painful and isolating that uh, and, and, and hard uh, and I didn't really realize then that I was like <laughs> looking for a job in the middle of a recession. Um, you know, I was just looking oh, yeah. for a job mm-hmm. um, that uh, I I wanted to write about it, and I wanted to kind of pour my frustration into uh, uh, something, and and that uh, ended up being the blog. So. Hmm. Um, that's always nice when you can find. It's kind of like a journal that you. Yes. Pour. Yes. You yes. may. I think that the blogs that are successful, they're mainly the ones that are like this. That you just like, you kind of put your frustrations and you right. you put your feelings there, and it serves as a valve of escape for you. But then yes. there are a lot of other people that uh, are also experiencing the same thing, so it it ends up being helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. And I mean, I guess I, so, I mean another obvious question about you know transitioning from um, I guess postdoc in chemistry to industry. Like, was that always your goal? Because I have a sense that a lot of chemists like their first goal is not academia, but job in industry X Y Z more than like, more than most other disciplines in academia. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that. Um, I think that there's, it, it is presented as a, the likeliest choice or 
one of the likelier choices for chemists. Uh, I think that that's, uh, we don't really have any good numbers for it, but I think that, you know, kind of that's where the bulk of um, certainly uh, chemists with advanced degrees end up. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I kind of, I, I wrote, I recall writing my essay for graduate school as if I wanted to be uh, a professor. And then over time, uh, I kind of determined that, uh, um, you know, shortly thereafter that eh, maybe this isn't really for me. And, you know, but I knew in my group anyway that most people ended up going to industry. Um, so it was sort of seen as a viable choice. Um, and um, one where, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, my my family there wasn't there aren't any academics in my family although amusingly my father now that I think about it was an inspiring academic. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Life would have been very different uh, if if he had decided to do <laughs> two postdocs in a row or something like that instead of take a job in industry. Yeah, because. Um, that's just it's so it seems like it's so different from the culture and the life sciences that's all where yes. like you know it just seems like in chemistry industry is a culturally acceptable option in academia when you're doing your phd when you're doing a postdoc um and i don't know if chemistry is the same way too where like postdocs are sort of like expected if you're going the academic route and i don't know if like industry expects you to do a postdoc now because that's true in some like with some life sciences employers I know where like they want to see yeah. some postdoctoral experience. Yeah. Um, um, often now. So um, I wouldn't be me if I didn't rattle off a bunch of survey of earned doctorate statistics. And yeah, it's <laughs> it's um, basically that for the last twenty years it's been like you you can see kind of jiggles in the lines, but it's basically all the same that. Um, the most common outcome for a PhD in chemistry is a postdoc, and it's about 40%. Wow. Um, okay. Which is, I, I don't actually know the numbers for the life sciences, um, but... Uh, Probably I, higher. Yeah, I, think yeah, higher I would presume science. it's yeah. higher. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, I should, I should note, and, you know, this kind of points to things that are even a little bit different. Um, I was in an industrial postdoc, so I, I postdoc at a major pharmaceutical company. Um, interestingly, I was one of the few chemistry postdocs, uh, the bulk of them, I think 80 to 90. Actually, I was one of like eight at, at my site, and uh, the rest of them were all life science types. Um, I think that um, I, I, I think that uh, where's it going with this? I think that I think that it's it's clearly as uh, for for chemistry PhDs that a postdoc is sort of seen as like um, a holding pattern where you can get to decide what you want to do next. Obviously, if you do want an R one uh, tenure track position, you know the number of uh, chemistry professors who don't who go straight from PhD to uh, uh, PhD to tenure track position is basically um, it's like it's like one famous person in our field, <laughs> maybe two or three. But yeah, I feel that in rare. chemistry, 
it seems that there are so many options in industry and and to be and if you it's necessary or not to do a postdoc before i think it depends on uh which exactly where you want to go in industry Mm -hmm. now that i work for a company that um sells analytical um instruments i can see that most of the my colleagues even sales people they are chemists and the field engineers that uh install that do the installation of the of the products the ones that do uh fix when there are problems they are chemists and then we do have application engineers that then some of them have phds and and then if you and then if you go to the to the company site then there are people doing r d there those people all of them have PhDs. So you see, and, and it's kind of like, so you you have like all those different things that you can do within a company. And some of them, you, you it might be more useful to have a PhD and a postdoc in industry. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and, and I, I think that um, chemistry tends to be, although I, so I, I should really confess here that like I, I'm an organic chemist, and so, which is like, that's actually most, the, the highest number of PhDs issued per year uh, or, or graduated per year is uh, is in the organic. We're one of the largest, um, not by a lot. I mean, it's like, you know, we're, the, we're 20% or, or no, we're not 20%. We're like, it's 600 Six hundred something divided by twenty six hundred, so that's like uh, <laughs> um, it's like a third ish. A third, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Third or a fourth, um, and, and you know, so we have a particular view of the world, and there, um, you know, it's fairly common to if, for if you're attempting for a large. Uh, company uh, medicinal chemistry or um, process chemistry position, you're likelier than not going to uh, there. Most of your competition will have a a postdoc, Um, but it's not, you know, it depends. It also depends on the, uh, on the economy. If they're just looking for Mm -hmm. people, uh, they may take people with less experience and also, so therefore no postdoc. Um, Um. yeah. And it's relatively uncommon. And, and of course, here's the problem is like, we don't know what the numbers are. Uh, relatively uncommon for people to do more than one uh, postdoc, but it does happen. Um, I almost did another postdoc um, look, looking. That was my other choice. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of taking a job at a small company or uh, doing another postdoc. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I wish I would have taken it, but eh. Uh, so how yeah. was your transition? How did you choose yeah. one over the other? Um, so I really, um, you know, I, I had been a, uh, I had worked in industry. I didn't really want to, um, I, I just felt like, you know, this is my life now and uh, I don't really want to go back to academia. Um, academia is nice, but it's, you know, uh, the pay is lower and um mm-hmm. you work too much <laughs> yes. yeah yeah i mean but it, it's just like it, it's just sort of this thing where it's like you know what do you do after you do another academic postdoc is you you go look for a faculty position and i think that like at mm-hmm. the time 
Um, I, I had a, I had uh, one. So I, I'm, I, I was married. I'm still married, and I had one child. Um, and it's just like you know, you have a family to support, and you have um, mm-hmm. a spouse to support, and all that sort of stuff. I so mm-hmm. so here's the here's the actual thing that that like sort of made the decision for me, uh, which is that, uh, uh, so the, the postdoc and, you know, now I slap my fingers, it would have been in Boston mm-hmm. and we okay. just had no concept of what Boston was like, especially for cost of living in childcare. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had this idea that like what we would have to do because my wife is uh, a medical professional and, um, like looking after uh, our daughter is is that we'd have to basically like take our daughter to work um, to have to basically make the exchange and then my wife would you know because my mm-hmm. wife works uh, nights quite often mm-hmm. and then my wife would have to like take our daughter back on the subway or wherever um, back to the hotel to or not the hotel but the our apartment right. in order to like do the childcare swap thing. And we're kind of like, no, that's silly. Like, why would we do that? And like, you know, if that's what we have to do in order to like kind of do another postdoc, it's like, what? you know, no. no. And, and, and of course, like if somebody, if five other people were there making this decision, I'm, you know, and now with the benefit of 10 plus years of hindsight, I would be like, well, no, we didn't have to do that. We could have gotten somebody to look after our kid in, in the in-between time or all of this you know <laughs> we could have made it work but it just seemed like what it we needed like, to, yeah yeah it was too daunting at the time you're like yeah yeah no and we're not like, doing that or you can take a small company job where like you work something like eight to five and you know um mm-hmm. uh and you know my my wife would work her normal shift whatever it is um so, uh, yeah, it feels so to me that your transition, you were already like half, half in, half out. Yes. And then whatever, in order to come back, it will have been a lot of things, a lot of problems. And you have, so if you really want it, I'm sure that you, you could have done, make it work. But it was yeah. kind of like you were already kind of there and we're like, uh, okay, so let's, let's just go right. all the way there. Right. And, it, and, it's, and, and it's funny because I personally felt that, like, uh, why, would I, why would I do this thing that, why would I do this postdoc that would lead me to a path or, like, sort of, like, it would offer me another option, which would be like a faculty position or something like that, which like, look, let's be honest with my, like my publishing track record. I wasn't on any, uh, R1 shortlist. Um, mm-hmm. but it would just like offer me an option that I was not super particularly interested in. And of course, like it was 2008 or 2000 and no, it was 2009 at the time. Like, it's just like, you know, uh, I, it, it, it felt like a daunting time to go, you know, out on the faculty market. Um, so anyway, long story short, uh, I ended up in industry and I've been in industry ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have you had multiple jobs in industry? 
I mean, it sounds like maybe you have, like you've moved companies at least once, maybe. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. I have. Okay. I mean, um, and that also seems fairly typical. <laughs> um, yeah. It's more common in industry than it does in academia. Yes, yeah. Yes. I would agree. I mean, you, you, you hear about like, it's really funny to me. I was listening to some, oh, I was talking to a PUI professor uh, and he was like, you, you, you know that like, uh, post tenure, you're basically stuck, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and, and of course, like, now it makes sense, right? Because it's basically that, like, you as if you're if you're filling the like, if you're at a like a eight person department and you're the organic chemist, like, you have to go find another position where like or another place where there's like an associate opening for one organic chemist that's really hard um but yeah Yeah. for industry i I think it it is reasonably common especially if you're in one of the uh uh the major life science slash pharma hubs like you know people the whole classic people you know change jobs without changing parking lots thing um, Ah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not directly involved in pharma, but like I, I I mean, I work with a lot of companies in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is definitely right. one of those hubs. And like, mm-hmm. um, it just, it seems like there are a couple of buildings where yeah. literally almost everything seems to happen. Right. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel that outside in academia, regardless of which uh, which pharma or other things there the, it, it's more like you you work for that you work for i don't know 2 3 years you learn what you have to learn you give what you have to give and then you just move on to something better to something just something nicer i don't know yeah that- i i kind of uh another thing that i kind of suspect and and maybe i'm wrong is is, is that um for for you know, there's like a division for industry um, between large companies and small companies. Mm-hmm. And I think for the small companies, uh, there's basically, you know, the, the, the career ladder is relatively narrow. And so if you feel like you, you really need a promotion, um, which, you know, plenty of people do for any number of reasons, uh, personal ambition or finances or whatever, um, they, the, the, the choice you have is you basically you stay here or you find somewhere else. Um, for large companies, I do feel that like industry offers a lot of different options because it's basically, you know, um, like anything that you that companies tend to promote from within, uh, mm-hmm. especially for their non um, for their non research positions. Um, and um, yeah, so you know, it, I, I what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I suspect for larger companies that tenure within an organization is longer, uh, even if you know you're moving from one track to another. Yeah, and I guess there's also the whole thing of larger companies acquiring smaller companies, right. and then you're part <laughs> oh, of that yeah. division, and like then you can move right. up within the company, and right um, or like. Yeah, I mean, I guess starting at a small company doesn't seem that... It seems like a, a slightly more viable option for a fresh postdoc or PhD out of academia, just yeah. because they're, like, more willing to take a chance on an academic right. than, like, 
you know, right. I mean, sorry, not just take us to the pharma chemistry world because like, we also talk about like DuPont and their hiring practices, maybe. Um, but like, you know, just like, oh yeah, you know, Roche or like Merck are yep. going to take a chance on the fresh PhD out of graduate school versus like small company startup XYZ with a great idea will. Right. Right. Uh, then, you know, so I, I actually know a tiny bit about both Merck and DuPont's hiring practices. And okay. for chemists, I think they still will interview um, fresh PhDs, but I'm not sure. Um, I think it depends on the hiring slot. Uh, some of them these yeah. days, I'm seeing more of the sort of PhD with zero years of experience, zero years of postdoc. Um, mm-hmm. But still, I mean, I, I yeah. mean, and that that's the sort of thing that, that is uh, kind of weird and ironic about postdocs is, is that like, from my perspective, and, and of course, like if you confront hiring managers, they're going to say, "Oh no, no, of course it, it, you know, it makes a difference." But like, you're basically competing for the same position. Yeah. And so, like, what did your postdoc add to you? And that's, of course, the wrong way to look at it. Probably. <laughs> Not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're going, like, if if you're considering going into a postdoc. It's a good right. question to have asked, to ask right. before you start, like, what is it I'm going to get out of this? What is it I would like out of this experience? Right. And will right. this postdoc I'm going to, I've been offered, get me that. Right. And and, but, and quite often, you know, for, for organic chemists, it's it's yeah. basically a, a different skill set. You know, you're, you're, you, you do uh, a lot of synthetic work and, you know, mm-hmm. potentially t- towards the bio end. And so you move over to the, uh, more mechanistic, uh, you know, methodology side so that you demonstrate that, you know, yes, I can sort of uh, take on the biology and also I I have, you know, I can, I demonstrate that I can kind of tinker with a one particular chemical reaction and optimize it mm-hmm. um, and make it better. But um, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that there is actually a, a skills component to it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, and I also like, I guess to me, a large companies, I also wonder now too of like, you know the Duponts of the world just have like at we partner with universe some universities to have PhD programs that literally feed them people for positions right. that they have right. opened. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's well, something that. Um, yeah, but I feel like I don't know the postdoc. Also, I can say I can speak on personal uh, experience here. Uh, I felt like when I was a PhD student, there is a progression, but whenever you start, you know nothing, and then you've been told to do a lot of things and then you you start to it it takes time for you to understand whatever is going on Mm -hmm. whatever you're really doing Mm -hmm. and reading Mm -hmm. and 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 then by the time that you you finish yeah you're ready but then you you haven't had time to enjoy that knowledge and and i feel like in the postdoc um you have the freedom of Mm -hmm. mo i mean i'm talking about my experience but i feel that you have the then you have several projects and then you have other team members that you can work as a team and and then this also brings you a different set of skills that just going fresh out of the phd to a dupont you know right right yeah i would agree with that i think that um that's definitely you know um I don't, I, it's obviously lab dependent, 
but I think yes. that I, I suspect that project management skills are something that you learn more as a postdoc than you do as a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even though you, you get more, you get some of that with both. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. And I do think, like you're, like you were saying, like with the postdoc, like Clay was saying, that you do get the, um, you can look at it and see, but what other skills you're going to get while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so bad to be outcome oriented. <laughs> I, I, I am I am relentlessly out, outcome oriented when it comes mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, or like uh, PhD plus postdoc or like thinking about academic training. And I think that in my discussions on Twitter with academics, I think they get really frustrated with me. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I, and, and I think that it's completely, it's, it's understood. It's very understandable because like the, there for them, the process is the enjoyable part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hey, I really like the process of being, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear, of uh recently there was a a brief discussion on twitter where it was sort of um uh did you like your time in graduate school and it was remarkable how many academics were like i loved graduate school yeah and Mm -hmm. like i kind of liked graduate school i didn't really like it i really like my my advisor i am still friendly with Mm -hmm. my advisor he's somebody that i still Mm -hmm. consider like uh, uh, you know, uh, a mentor and, you know, um, mm-hmm. somebody I like and respect, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that I, and, and it's sort of like, if you really like academia, of course, you're going to stay there. <laughs> you <can't, laughs> Why yeah. did you ever leave? Um, but, uh, I or, guess that in order to you... stay in academia, you have to love the system. Because other than that, you just cannot. <laughs> it's, it's just right. too much, you know? And yeah. I, I mean, and I think you do get, like, the pushback about the outcome-oriented thing. Because, I, I mean, like, as much as you can design your experiment well and, like, figure right. out, like, your mm-hmm. very testable hypothesis with, like, the, you know, is it going to answer my question? And, like, it's very hard to be outcome-oriented because you're creating new knowledge and you just don't know. Right. <laughs> like, and, and so you're like, yeah, okay, what creative way can I come up with to figure out how nature works? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that works for like the scientific part of it, like the experiment part of it, like making basic discovery part of it, which I mean, happens in applied science too all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you make the basic discovery while trying to apply, come up with application XYZ or work out X, application XYZ. But mm-hmm. then I think people also apply that to their career and like, you know, they, they have a hard time separating like, oh, concrete outcome oriented for my career versus there's actual science. And I think separating those things is hard Yeah, for it, some yeah, people. It, it was hard, hard for me. I know for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that it also kind of feeds into the avocation sort of thing about science. Like you're in yeah. grad school or you're doing your postdoc and everything is for, for science. Right. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like, okay, you know, I also have to support my family and eat and right. have rent, I, pay rent or mortgage yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I I have found how I have been. I think it is remarkable how little interest uh, academics 
Uh, and of course, like we're four people who are not professors critiquing professors. Right. Or at least I'm, <laughs> I'm critiquing professors. Uh, but I, I think that I think it is fascinating to see how little interest there is in tracking career outcomes mm -hmm. uh, yeah. amongst graduate students or postdocs. Like, like just asking people, hey, what was what is the unemployment rate of your graduates five years after they graduate? Like, they don't know. Oh, no. They don't even feel responsible for knowing, which is understandable in the sense that that is sort of a hard number to try to figure out, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have, you have to you survey. Know, many, yeah. yeah, if you have if you have graduates, if you have twenty graduates a year, and you have to call all twenty people five years later and say mm -hmm. like, "Hey, how's it going?" and like, "Are you employed?" How much of that is the school's fault? You know, it, it, you know, is this a number that like they are going to want to collect? And the answer apparently is no, we're not interested. Um, and I think that and, and part of that is because like, you know, that's going to take somebody time and time is money, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. I think that that's like, you know, we as a community, as a as heck mm -hmm. as taxpayers, I'd like to know this number. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see some of that. Like, I mean, I know my PhD alma mater checks in with me every so often. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. one, it's asking is, for is money. Is that the alumni office? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. So, like, no, this. Money. No, here's the. I, I swear to God, like, they're in communication with each other. Like, it's like, yeah, asking for money, but also, like, what is it you're doing now? Like, where do you, like, you know, like, they're asking these questions. Like, that's really good, right. actually. Mm -hmm. That is um, good. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I went to. You know, like, I mean, I'll just, yeah, I guess. I, you, I'm going to look this up. Like, I, mean, I went to Washington University in St. Louis for my PhD, right. which is one of, like, 800-pound gorilla right, universities. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, so they have the money to do this sort of thing. Um, and, but, yeah, so, like, you are starting to see some of that. And, like, people like um, Gary McDowell are also, and right. the future mm -hmm. research are also starting yeah. to track that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, or think, trying to, at least. And I think NSF might have an initiative about that. I could be... Entirely it could be. It, it's. It, it, it. I. I think it's. I think it is more NIH than NIH. NSF. Okay. So. So NIH, like, really, like the 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 person that I'm thinking of right off the top of my head is I think at Princeton. Her name is Shirley Tillman. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And no, that's she, right. That's, yep. She is like one of the ones who's really tried to like to to push that that schools that. Schools that get in at serious NIH money need to be tracking the outcomes of their graduates. And I think that that would be fantastic, especially since, like, there's a heck of a lot more life scientists than there are chemists. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Um, the number of chem PhD chemists that are graduated every year is, like, 26 or 2,700. It's, like, 12,000 for, mm -hmm. for life scientists. Don't quote me on that number. But it's somewhere <laughs> around that. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's more. A, it's huge. Yeah, it's at least it's an order big. of magnitude more. Yeah. And, like, yeah. And, um, and, like, I would like to know, you know, because, you know, just even from the – not from the perspective of a, a critic of modern – scientific workforce uh training practices but just from a taxpayer's perspective like we're paying a lot of money we're mm -hmm. like how are we doing and the answer i guess is is that i mean that they would turn back 
is say like, hey, you, you got a lot of like cheap science. Like, what do you care? And the answer <laughs> is, well, actually, right. if if I am if I the taxpayer am training, uh, am paying for science, I and I'm getting science, but I'm not actually getting a scientist at the end of it. I'm getting a um, I'm going to pick a couple of random careers here. If I'm getting uh, 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 Wall Street bankers out of it, or if I'm getting, um, consultants. you know, uh, consultants, <laughs> or, you know, I don't know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, pick, pick on my own, like, uh, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm getting, like, business development types. Like, I would like to know that, mm-hmm. you know, Um yeah. And I mean, yeah, and that's not to say it's a bad thing necessarily, because like, you know, people with no, scientific it's training, like, it's like, you want critical thinkers in a lot of industries, right? Right, right. right. But, like, you know, it's it's the sort of thing where, like, it is uh, a median of seven years for, uh, uh, of a median of six to seven years of yeah. training, uh, think, critical thinking training, is that, um, yeah, is that, is it, Maybe we could dial that back to like four to five, <laughs> right? right. More uh, like the European system, yeah, right. Yeah. Or you know, it, it's just like mm-hmm. you know, well, somebody just, pays for this. It's just good to know where the money is going. Like, in right. no other place do we just sit there like and throw money at something and right. just are like, eh, outcome schmoutcomes, <laughs> right? right. Yes. And like, and like, I mean, I think the focus has been a lot more on not where the people go, but because like classic scientists, right? It's all about the actual science produced. So it's like, right. oh, how many publications and how many patents and how many, right. like, you know what I mean? Like how many yep. translational technologies came out of right. paying right. for that science? Right. Like that's the right. focus. And like, we probably Modern do have a lot of numbers for those because mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. that is what's tracked because the people right. in science don't matter. Right. Which is true. <laughs> yeah. like, I know in the military, um, I don't know how far out, but they do track where pe- when people leave the military like they track where people go i don't know for how long but part of oh, that is they want to see what training like what training they get in the military and how that applies elsewhere so while like they have these other sets of metrics that would be comparable to patents and publications and that sort of things they also have this personnel me- um metric as right. well right okay that's interesting and, and that, like, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if it's just like immediately after, but I know that um, I've had friends who have left the military and they get followed up with every so often. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it it helps to have yeah. like a, a cabinet department that that tries to. Well, that's true. Yes, yeah. you do have you do have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you uh, have a secretary of defense. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just a recent burgeoning thing of just having like you know things like postdoc offices and graduate student offices right. and like right. you know what I mean. Sure. It's just like that's a more recent thing that is just coming yeah. to science as mm-hmm. like a, oh, we need to focus on these people, not just you know the science they do and like toss them into a PI's lab and like yeah, whatever happens happens. Like it's yeah. you know. <laughs> but I think uh, also that is like uh, regarding the academia and and PhDs. This is something that we are getting there because the the mm-hmm. um i know like my uh postdoc um pi he got his job he's retired now so he when he was like when i got this job here uh i had like 
three publications and oh, there yeah. was like no no I think that he was competing with one other person and and then over the years since then like back in the 60s up to now now we have the number of PhDs is just going up 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 and then there are not enough positions to fill up so then uh, now we have that I don't know that problem that we have I don't know if it's a problem but we just have too many PhDs <laughs> and if they all want to go into the academic market there is no there is no uh, place for all of them so of course they have to go somewhere else so I think that this thing of like needing to track where they go and if they are in academic it's, it's kind of like a newish um, yes that's true yeah mm-hmm. yes and I yeah. don't really know if the, 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 I've heard, I have friends that say like, oh, we should decrease the number of PhDs um, because there are just too many. And mm. yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I kind of vaguely agree with that, but I'll take a half, I'll take a half, uh, you know, step and sort of say, we don't have enough information to know whether or not we have too many or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, too few right. until you. Until you can tell, until you can accurately track the unemployment rate of new PhDs or the underemployment rate, I think that that's even a more important yes. number. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, if if you mm-hmm. know, if you if you have a PhD scientist working at Home Depot, that's I think pretty classic underemployment. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, we just we don't really have good numbers for that. Um, and right. Um, you know, the numbers yeah. that, that are out there are kind of helpful to that, but not really. Um, and so it's funny because some fields, I think, uh, professors still, re- or not just professors, but everybody relies on anecdotes, you know, was, yeah. uh, I don't know. Did you guys hear this NPR story about the, um, uh, the uh, um, there was a Starbucks barista who is a zoology graduate and likes to tell people zoology facts. Mm -hmm. Well, he's he's an Uh, undergrad, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And he wants to go to a graduate program in zoology. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw that. Like this, like, yeah. Um, Yeah, sorry. I think this originated on Twitter because the person who was a scientist ran into him at Starbucks. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... Yeah, I, I happen to know the person who was hosting Real Scientists that week a little bit. So, like, I saw it, it's like, oh, hey, Stephanie's hosting yeah. Real Scientists this week. And, like, yeah, yeah, she tweeted that. And I was like, that's awesome. And, yeah. Yeah, apparently it went viral. Yeah, Stephanie Page, oh. is, she's really great. Yeah. Um, but um, the, 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 in, the, discu- in the, the Twitter discussion later, somebody was like, oh, that would be great. He should get some training of the Earth Scientists. There's a real shortage of earth scientists and i'm like really there is like how do you how do you know that right like i know that there's a shortage of um like certain kinds of nurses because you can you can see people advertising for uh nurses and mm-hmm. saying things like we'll give you like a five thousand dollar bonus mm-hmm. uh yeah. To, yeah. To, like, to sign on the dotted line or that you know oh you know we'll offer you We'll uh, buy you flex- a house. We'll buy you a house, or we'll <laughs> offer you flexible, yeah, uh, uh, flexible hours, or we'll pay off your student loans. Mm-hmm. 
Um, or, you know, the classic example is petroleum engineers, um, where like you can watch the, the starting salaries go from magically go from, you know, 80,000 to 98,000. Um, wow. and it's, it's a demonstration, you know, there, mm-hmm. first of all, there aren't that many petroleum engineer slots and the field is highly cyclical, uh, depending on, on the price of oil. But mm-hmm. like all of these things indicate like from an economic perspective, shortage prices go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that you can, you, I don't personally think that you can point to any of that data within science. Um, you know, uh, and until I see that data, I personally am not going to be like, oh, there's a shortage of scientists, you know. I, yeah. And I think that I'm sure shortages of scientists exist. I don't know where, but I haven't seen a ton of data for it. I could believe it in the computer field that there is a demonstration of like shortages in, uh, you know, certainly Silicon Valley is hiring a lot of people. Oh, to, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do stuff and they're paying them a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, and I'm kind of wandering into somewhat controversial territory. Like, I don't think that that's like science. That's something else, technology or engineering, whatever you have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, okay, yeah, no, I think that's, yeah. Yeah, I think that's very spot on that we just don't know a lot. And as a final question, um, uh, I'll, we'll just ask, I, I mean, do you have advice for your younger self that you would, you know, looking back, like you would say now about your transition from academia into industry and any like lessons that have le- you've learned that you would convey to our listeners? Uh, oh. That you found particularly valuable? <laughs> um, or that you, know, you would have done differently, maybe? Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I guess that like. You know, I, I'm not, I'm, I, gosh, you, you really have me stumped on that one. I think that, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, if you don't have an answer, that's it's like, hey, I, I did I everything think that, awesome. I, I think that, I mean, no, I don't think of myself as all that awesome, but I mean, I, I do, I do, I yeah. think that, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the thing that uh, I would, sort of remind myself is is that like or okay here here's my like if i had a piece of advice for my past self it would be like uh try to be somewhat less confrontational with um mm-hmm. with uh authority figures <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good one uh, that is, yeah. that's one that I, we I, haven't I, heard I, before i, think, I like this i think like like you know um Quit yeah. poking them in the eye uh, is, <laughs> is what would be one that I, I would have for my like myself for, for like, uh, you know, five or or, or 10 mm-hmm. or 15 years ago um, and like okay. try to understand better what they want. Um, and also, you know, gee, I don't know, work harder and try to publish a little more. Um, sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, what about your not- listeners? And, right. and for the for the listeners, I mean, 
I, I guess that my, my classic piece of advice that I always seem to end up giving out is, is that like quite often you run into a situation where you think your situation really stinks. And, um, and I think that it's probably likelier than not that your situation really stinks, but the sort of the way to figure out if you're just sort of, if it's your mood or if something's really wrong is to sit down and like, I'm a big fan of Google calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, you could do, you could do this with a post-it note instead is, is that like you write down your current situation, you write down, this is how I feel about it. And say like, and this is like, these are the things that if this happens, uh, I'm done, I'm leaving. Or if this happens, like, I, you know, I can stay, I can, I can make it through this. And then like uh, write that piece of paper down or, or set that Google calendar reminder for like two weeks or a month later. And if you, and if you come back to it and you look at it and you're like, yeah, this is still true. Then I think you really do have something and it's, it's time for you to start thinking about like what is next. Uh, and if <laughs> it's, not true then you kind of know like oh well you know this is just my mood or like this is mm -hmm. this was my emotional or my angle and my emotions on it at that time and you know that doesn't mean that it wasn't true it just means that it it holds somewhat less salience and it was so, yeah it was fleeting yeah mm -hmm. and i think that i think that that is helpful because in yeah. the discussions, in the in the ways that we relate to people in situations, um, and like quote unquote bad times, uh, in academia, it feels like especially is, is that you have almost nobody to talk to uh, about mm -hmm. these sorts of situations. Mm -hmm. Like you have a PI, oh, yeah. right? but you're not going to go to your PI with that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, um, or you know, you may not. Ideally, you have a situation in which you can go to your PI, but if you don't, then like, and if you don't have a friend and you don't, or you don't have a family member to kind of keep track of that sort of thing, like that kind of little reminder can help. But I guess mm -hmm. that that is the other thing that I would say, which is like, you should uh, have somebody put a quote on the outside that you can talk to who can yes. kind of remind you. Of, yep. like, what is normal life? Um, <laughs> yes. And, yep. You know. Um, Absolutely. Oh yeah. And, and somebody who can say like, who, who can kind of talk to you and remind you that like the situation that you're in, where you're, you know, you're, um, mm -hmm. uh, where you're doing, you where you're working really hard and, um, uh. And, you know, doing experiments week after week after week with not a lot of, uh, um, not, not a lot of sort of salience or not a lot of success. And, and that's like sort of normal life in academia, but mm -hmm. it does not, uh, is not, you know, normal life forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then the last thing is tell people where they can find you in the world and follow you and... Um, look you up on the internet. Sure. Uh, so my blog is uh, can be found at chemjobber.blogspot.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, chemjobber, at chemjobber, C-H-E-M-J-O-B-B-E-R. 
Uh, and then also you can, uh, if you feel like it, you can email me at chemjobbr at gmail.com. So chemjobber at gmail.com. So. Okay. Great. Thank awesome. you. And Yay. Thank you. A picture of a, his, yeah. His two avatars, a very cute rubber duck. So. Yes. It's actually, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's actually a ceramic duck. It's not. Oh, it's a ceramic oh, duck. Really? Okay. Ceram- well, all this time I'm thinking <laughs> all right. it's a rubber duck. I stand corrected. <laughs> it's great. It. Okay. That's well, um, that's CJ, huge news. Yeah. Yes. I yeah, know, that's that's news that Breaking story. Broken. All right. <laughs> <laughs> CJ, thank you for joining us today on the You're Recovering Academic welcome. Podcast. That was really fun. Yeah, and we'll see our everyone in the next episode. Yep. All right. Yeah, bye. 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 This week's Recovering Academic is sponsored by Scientific Dispatches Consulting, an editorial service for scientists. They specialize in helping you tell your research story clearly and concisely. Scientific Dispatches offers consulting, editing, writing, and presentation preparation services. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation at scientificdispatches.com. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find out about us. You can tweet the show at recoveringacad. You can also find all of the hosts on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash recovering academic podcast. You can find all of our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.